<laughs> Morning, everyone. What's going on? Look, um, I, I am sick. I've got a real case of sickness. And so I ask for your patience this morning, for your, uh, for your grace, for your forgiveness if things don't flow as they should because they're flowing from my nose instead. <laughs> hey, um, hey, welcome to church. The English language is really interesting. Does anyone else find it super interesting? Does anyone else find I'm going to walk into this. It's, it's interesting, but it's also like super confusing. And I honestly feel for people who are learning English as a second language, right? It is insane. Um, but there's also, you know, things in the English language I love, mainly little like sayings and idioms and, you know, little things that like in isolation make no sense whatsoever and are super confusing. But when they're understood, they actually, you know, they provide a, a simple way to understand something. I'm going to share some of those with you this morning. Now, this all came about because in my work, I deal with a lot of external consultants, a lot of which have learned English as a second language. And this week, I was talking to an engineer and um, we were just chatting and we came to a disagreement and then we came to a conclusion. And I said, oh, I suppose, you know, one in the hand, am I right? And there was a long pause and then a bit of what? One in the hand is better than two in the bush. That's what I meant. But he's like, I have no idea what you're talking about, right? But in case anyone else doesn't know what that means, one in the hand, you know, it's better to have the one thing if you've got it than, than the metaphorical two things that could be in the bush that you don't have, right? It's better to have the, the one. Another one is uh, a piece of cake. Whose kid is that? Where's their mother? A piece of cake, right? When someone says something is a piece of cake, well, that just doesn't make any sense. Like, it's easy, right? A piece of cake means something that is easy. But what? Like, a cake is... Now, when I looked into where that came from, it actually goes back to, like, American slavery. And it comes from a real dark place. Like, the slave owners would make the slaves dance and do a cakewalk and if they were good they would get cake now the slaves are like well we can dance so this is a pretty easy way for us to get a piece of cake we'll just dance and then and so that's where it came from a piece of cake right yeah yeah it's real it's beat around the bush here we go right Hunting parties, when they used to go hunting birds, someone would like hit the bottom of the bush and all the birds would fly out and they would catch them with a net, right? So beating around the bush is, it's the start of the activity, but it's not the end goal. The goal is to catch the birds with the net. So stop mucking around, hitting the bush, catch the birds, right? So they're all just so weird, but sometimes they can help actually give a bit of guidance in a situation that doesn't make sense when you understand what they're talking about. The last one is the grass isn't always greener on the other side of the fence. That's, that's a life lesson right there to live by, right? The grass isn't always greener. You don't really know what's on the other side of the fence. You don't know if it's better. And so stop focusing on what could be and focus on what you have now. 
The other one that this flows into is names. Like sometimes, again, if I said, uh, you know, John Doe over there, we would all go, that's someone without a name. But for some people, they're like, that's a man called John Doe, right? Jane Doe is the same, the, the female version. But it's a, I can say John Doe and everyone knows that that's probably a, someone who I know nothing about. Doubting Thomas, right? Doubting Thomas. You're a doubting Thomas. Now, normally you would say that to typically someone whose name is not Thomas, but someone who just doesn't believe you. You're a doubting Thomas, I'll prove it to you. Now, for those of you who are astute enough to know, that's where we're going to slide into the Word this morning with a bit of doubting Thomas. We? How good. Does anyone know who... Thomas was? Yeah, it was a lot of yeses, so I'll expect you all to know everything I'm about to say. (laughs) Doubting Thomas was actually someone who we don't actually know his name. Thomas is a translation of a Greek word that I am not going to try and pronounce, but it means Didymus or the twin. It's a real mob name, the twin, Thomas. He was one of the 12 disciples, one of Jesus' followers here on earth. He certainly wasn't a, you know, a top tier disciple. He sort of ranks maybe sixth or seventh in, in the line. He's only mentioned eight times in the Bible, four of which are when someone was just listing all the disciples, right? So he doesn't really count. Four times um, he appears. But if I'm honest, the four times he appears are pretty good, right? The first one is Thomas is, is the disciple that set up, gave Jesus a real softball for one of his greatest hits. In, in John 14, it says, um, Lord, we do not know where you are going, so how can we know the way? This is Thomas saying this. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's a, that's a, that's a good one, right? And Thomas is just lobbing softballs and Jesus is really cleaning up, right? That's a, that's a good, that's good. We need Thomas for that, right? The other one is when Jesus is going to visit his friend Lazarus who is dying, a, a journey that was guaranteed to be filled with danger and, and everyone was after Jesus at that point. Jesus is like, I'm out of here. And Thomas is like, well, we'll come with you. Let's go, everyone. Let's go with Jesus. It's a dangerous journey, but we are your followers and we're coming with you. Thomas is the one that gets everyone up and gets everyone moving. So he's not a major player, but he's, he's certainly in there. So this morning, we're going to look at, um, at John chapter 20, verses 19 to 29. And the verses will come up and we might just stop along the way and share some thoughts and feelings and then... We'll close at the end. But first, I'm going to pray. Jesus, um, we just pray right now that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear from you. Um, Let the words that are spoken this morning not be my words, but uh, words that have been ordained to come from you. Do what you need to do in this place this morning, Lord. Uh, We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so John 20, verse 19 
that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. A little bit of context here. Jesus has just been crucified on the cross. He is dead as far as everyone is concerned. He's in the tomb. And the verses preceding this, Mary has gone to the tomb and the stone's been rolled away and there's no one there. So we pick it up where we're, we're looking at the disciples and they've locked themselves uh, in a room because they're scared of the Jewish leaders. Now, this isn't the sermon this morning, but isn't it interesting that the disciples have locked themselves away because they're scared when Jesus already has the victory? He's, he's overcome the grave, but they've locked themselves away. And I wonder if we sometimes do that, right? We lock ourselves away in fear when we forget that Jesus already has the victory in our lives. So on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Now, it's inferred through a lot of people's understanding of the Scripture that peace be with you was probably more of a everybody relax sort of thing. You know, they're locked in a room and Jesus just appears amongst their midst. That's a pretty overwhelming and, you know, terrifying premise, really. I've just watched this man be crucified and, and die on a cross. Three days later, I've locked myself in my room and here he is. So Jesus turns up and says, peace be with you. After he said this, sorry, next verse, yep. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Now, these verses may sound familiar, or at least the premise. This is the Great Commission, or at least John's recounting of of Jesus' commission to us on earth. He's been risen from the grave. Uh, and normally we would read Matthew 28, which fleshes this out a little bit more. But this is the great commission from Jesus. Go out and make disciples. So I am sending you. And it's so interesting that the first thing Jesus says when he, when he turns up is, get out of this room. Go out and be the church in the community. Get out of here, unlock that door and go. Go out from this place and be. Be the church, be the spreaders of the new story changing works that come from my Father. Verse 22. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. We're going to keep going as well. So verse 24, now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12 was not with them when Jesus came. He was not with the others. Now, when I was getting ready for this morning, oh, we can, yeah, we'll just put that one away. I reckon. When I was getting ready for today, I, I heard someone else preach on these verses, right? And he says that a lot of preachers use this verse to tell people not to miss church. Right? And I figured that's what I'm going to do this morning. So if you want to sleep in, Sunday is not the day because you'll miss Jesus. 
Yeah, no, thank you. I've got a few more here, but I'll... Now, well, if you've got a golf tea time on a Sunday morning, it's okay to miss church because really that's where you need Jesus the most. But to be clear, I am joking and, and there's... Yeah, no, yeah, just, just to make sure it's understood. Uh, gathering together on a Sunday is good for the soul. Gathering together in community is good for our faith, but it's not the end, right? Jesus meets us where we are. And whether that's here on a Sunday or, or somewhere else, I just want to make that very clear. But come to church. Verse 25. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Doubting Thomas. This is, this is the verse. This is where it comes from. I will not believe. There'd have to be a little bit of pride on Thomas's part here. You know, he's been with Jesus through his whole ministry. He's seen the incredible miracles he's done here on earth. And so there would have to be a part of Thomas that would think, well, yeah, okay, I could see Jesus rocking up. But I think it's a, it's a default human position to be one of doubt, right? What you're saying to me is insane. And so, of course, I do not believe you. He digs his heels in, I will not believe Verse 26, a week later, so the following Sunday, disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Clearly he heard the message, do not miss church. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Now, what's interesting is that Jesus has not seen the disciples or Thomas since the previous weekend. Yet Jesus knows exactly what Thomas needs to believe. And that's because Jesus knows us, right? He knows our innermost being. He knows our thoughts and our feelings. He knows us. And so he goes straight to Thomas with here. This is what you want. This is what you need. I'm offering it to you. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. This is a huge declaration for a, a Jewish man, right? This is, he's saying that you are my Lord and my God. Well, no one was God except God. This was an incredible moment in Thomas's life because he acknowledges that you are God, maybe for the first time. You are my Lord, my King, my leader, but you are also my God, my deity. That's a big deal. It's quite a, a proclamation. Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet still believe. Now, it's interesting, I think, that it says, for you have seen me. Not because you have felt me or touched me, not because you reached out and did those things, but my presence was enough for you to see and believe. 
this is a little bit speculative, but it's, it's implied, right, that Thomas never actually reached out and, and touched Jesus' hands. So that's it. We've made it to verse 29. <clears throat> now look, I'm going to invite Dan to come and play because we're going to start to, you know, round down here. I'm sick. I've got to go home. But how interesting that Jesus didn't fly off the handle when Thomas, one of his 12 disciples, comes to him and says, I don't believe that you are here. I don't believe that you are real. It would have been just as easy for Thomas, for Jesus to turn around and say, Thomas, I'm done with you. We have had this ministry here and you've seen the incredible things I've done and, and I told you this was going to happen. Yet when it did, you turn and said, I will not believe until I see it would have been so easy for Jesus to just be done. He's got 12 other disciples. And I think it's a human it's a human trait to fall into a default position of doubt. We live in a world that is a live by sight world, right? And sometimes it's useful. We are naturally skeptical of things that are promised and incredible. But it's not the way that Jesus wants us to live in relationship with Him. We're not a, it's not a live by sight relationship. So the, the message of this morning is, is this, is that Jesus isn't afraid of our doubt. In fact, it's, it's received well by Jesus. And in fact, when, when Jesus sees that Thomas is doubting, his response to him is, reach out. Reach out to me. See what I'm offering you. Reach out and, and let me see that doubt. Last week was a, a big week for Rev, 20 years. Something tells me that it wasn't specifically Sunday. It was a 20-year anniversary, but we celebrated anyway. And I'm sure... For Nathan and, and for Nick and for Megan and Sarah, looking at Rev Youth, there were times in that 20-year journey where there was doubt. There were times where the question was asked, like, what is God's plan here? What is He doing here? In the five years that I've been around, I've thought that. Doubt is a natural thing that, that everyone has. And instead of Jesus casting Thomas aside, He says, reach out. He knows us and, and He knows our fears and our doubts and He says, reach out, press in. I mentioned before about the grass not always being greener on the other side of the fence and there's a, I don't know, a witty follow-up to that, which I love, like love it. And it's this, that the grass is greener where you put your water, Right? And that goes in so many things in life. But the grass is greener where you put your water. Jesus is saying, you've got doubts about me. You've got doubts about something. Reach out. Put your water here. Press in. Spend time in the Word. The Word helps us to understand the, the nature of God and what He has for our life. Put your water in that. Dedicate time to praying, to being in community. 
to spending time with other people of, people of faith and, and building your own. Where we invest our time, we'll, we'll see fruit in that. And it can go for, it can help in so many other things as well. It's not just doubts about your faith, but it can be doubts about things in life. Is this the right job for me? I have a doubt about this. Well, ask yourself the question, are you, are you challenging yourself in that job? Are you looking for opportunities to grow? Are you investing in that space? Is this the right church for me? That's one that comes up a lot for people, right? And so many people leave the church because they're like, oh, it's just not a great fit. And But again, I want to ask the question, are you investing in that church? Are you serving? Are you giving? Where are you investing your time and where are you putting your water? Reach out. The last thing I'm going to say this morning is this, that we remember Thomas as Doubting Thomas. In fact, if you look it up in the Oxford Dictionary, Doubting Thomas, you'll see this story. The whole world remembers Thomas for his lowest moment. Not for the softball he teed up to Jesus to give us one of the greatest verses of his ministry. Not for the time he had courage and he said, we're coming with you. He's remembered for his lowest moment. But this morning, I just want to remind us that, that Jesus doesn't remember us for our lowest moment. He sees Thomas, he knows Thomas, he says, reach out. There's no condemnation in doubt. There's an opportunity to press in. So we're gonna we're gonna sing another song and we're just gonna spend a bit of time this morning pressing in. And I encourage you to, to take a moment to think about anything in your life that you have a doubt about. Any doubt you live with and sit with and I want you to press it into God this morning we're going we're gonna to sing a song that that invites the, the spirit to break out the same spirit that Jesus gives to the disciples in that locked room when he was raised from the grave the same spirit that was there then is the same spirit we call on today I think that's a good thing We're going to invite the Spirit to come and and I just pray as we do that and as we sing and as we reach out to God that you would bring any doubt that you have. This is the place to do that. There's no condemnation in doubt. There's only an opportunity to press closer into God. Let's do that now.